XX Will Travel is brought to you by Ciderbox. Ciderbox is a subscription box that delivers hard-to-find American heritage cider to your door. You can pick the size that works for you, either three bottles, a half case, or a full case. Find more information at ciderbox.com, C-I-D-R-B-O-X.com. This is Inez. And this is Kathy. And together we are XX Will Travel, a podcast for independent women travelers. I figured we'd remind our audience for some reason. In case you forgot. In case you forgot. Uh, but today we have a very, very important episode. Super important. Like you will literally not get anywhere without this episode. Yes. And it is a fascinating topic, despite what it may seem, because we are going to talk about Travel documents. Dun, dun, dun. Basically, we are going to guide you through the pieces of paper that you need to have in hand in order to get to a different country, board a plane, live somewhere, anything that involves bureaucracy. Yay! Yeah, maybe we should start with the main question. What are travel documents? <laughs> what are travel documents? Well... <laughs> Consulting my handy-dandy notes here, I have a driver's license or state ID, (laughs) passport, visa, which could be many different kinds, tourist visa, green card, work visa, working working holiday visa. Yes. There's like also nanny visas. Yeah. Yeah. And when I lived in Japan, I had a resident alien card. Ooh. Yes. Which I needed to get back into the country because I worked for the government. Interesting. So... Basically, it's a whole list of different things you either need to apply for (laughs) in order to get to where you want to go. And are probably issued by someone's government. Yes. Now, this is very near and dear to my heart because I was just thinking about this and literally my whole life has been, how can I say it, has been defined by what visas I have. Hmm. Pretty much. Like always, you know, I was not born in the country where I was from, so I had to get a tiny little passport real early. Oh, did you put it in your little baby pocket? I did! (laughs) (laughs) I probably put it in my mouth! (laughs) And other than the few times when I was living in Peru where we actually have a national ID card we need to carry with us, I have always been on some sort of visa in my life. Usually a diplomatic one when I was a kid, which doesn't give you as many benefits as you think it does. And then all the other times on student and a variety of other visas that we will get into. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot student visas. My visa history is I had a student visa when I studied abroad and a working visa when I lived in Japan, which is less colorful than than Inez's many visas, but just as valid in the eyes of the law. Exactly. (laughs) So, I think what some people worry about when it comes to traveling, or they might not, because I'm actually shocked at the amount of people who think they can just jump on a plane yeah, without for sure. anything, uh-huh. is when, do you, when can you just carry around your driver's license, and when do you actually need a passport to go somewhere? Thoughts, Kathy? <laughs> well, first of all, just um, a disclaimer. That this does not constitute legal legal <laughs> advice because we're very smart, but we are not attorneys. And mm-hmm. also, since we are in America, this most likely, the majority of this information applies to people who live in the U.S. Yes. 
But keep listening anyway, because we have other fun stuff, non-U.S. listeners. <laughs> so when do you need a, a driver's license or a state ID? That would be when you are flying domestically. You need a passport when you plan to leave the country. But did you know that you can board a plane with none of these? I did not know because that has not been my experience. <laughs> right. Well, well as... I am like, right now, my eyes are wide open. And I'm like, what the hell are you talking about, Kathy? <laughs> I... <laughs> well, just showing my white privilege here. Yeah. Because usually white blonde people, white blonde Americans, don't have to think about this kind of stuff. Because, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, am I making sense at all? No, no, no. This is, this is actually... Um... You are making complete sense, and I have several anecdotes about waiting in line to go through security and having some very nice-looking, and I'm sure very nice, white blonde lady just show up and say, like, oh, I lost everything, but here is my, like, college ID. And I, I always think, oh, they're for sure going to send her away. Right. But no, they almost always pass. My favorite was the one egregious case. Of a lady who had apparently lost all her documents but had her social security card with her, which says nothing except for your number. Right. And your name. They let her through. Well, here... <laughs> that's a good segue. Yeah. <laughs> so my experience with that is my grandma, who was 85 years old and blind, was traveling on an expired driver's license because who drives when they're nearly blind, and was detained by security <gasps> at Midway Airport. So... <laughs> Grandma. Yeah. The and exception to the rule. <laughs> I guess so. And she, you know, she always set off the um, alerts because she had a metal rod in her back. Oh. So, I don't know. But they did not treat her very nicely. So, I guess what I'm saying is it's less likely to happen to you mm-hmm. as a white American, <laughs> but it still can. So, here's what happens if you find yourself at an airport without, with no ID. Or actually, no government-issued ID. So you can't possibly get on a plane. You might be subject to extra TSA questions, and you have to fill out a form with your name and your address. And if you have an additional form of ID, like a student ID, as Inez said, a social security card, a credit card, that can help your case. If you're 17 years old or younger, you do not need ID to travel domestically Domestically. within the U.S., which I'm like, that scares me because when I looked like 17 when I was like, 24 right (laughs) so um i kind of question that policy if you try to board an international flight you might be able to fly to another country without an id including passports but it is up to the receiving country to decide if they want to let you in yes this is highly unlikely to happen because Airlines pay huge fees when this occurs. So the airline itself does not want to run the risk of having to pay a huge fee. So they are probably the ones who will say, like, there's no way I'm checking you into this flight. Wow. Yeah. Do you do you have personal experience? I with do. This? Do tell. I do actually have personal experience with this. Do tell. Back when I had a Peruvian diplomatic passport, there were certain countries I could fly without visas because of my Peruvian diplomatic passport, but people with regular Peruvian passports were not allowed to do so. One of those countries was supposedly Belize. The problem is that all this information is shared, you know, electronically. Usually airlines pay for certain systems to have all this info updated. 
And those systems usually suck, and those systems usually don't have the most updated information from small countries like mine. I'm gonna go to Belize. I had my diplomatic Peruvian passport, and despite the fact that I had printouts, letters, and things confirming that as a Peruvian diplomatic passport holder, I could go to Belize without a visa, that was not showing up in the airline's computer system. It said that all Peruvians, regardless of what passport they have, needed one. And the lady at the counter, after I had a mini breakdown, she asked for her supervisor. <laughs> and the supervisor came and she was way nicer and explained to me calmly that it's like, that it's not so much a security risk. Or she's like, it's not that we think it's a security risk in that sense. You might actually be able to like be let in once you get to Belize. But the problem is if you aren't, that you, the airlines actually um, get charged with a huge, huge fee, and that's why like we're reluctant to let you on. She's like, and you know, and she's just like, when these things happen, what we like to tell our guests are just like, hey, we'll just like put all the money you spend on your tickets to go somewhere else where you can't go, and that's how I ended up going to Barbados. Wow. But that is that is usually the reason why airlines will be the first to tell you no, you can't go in. Not so much like immigration officials. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> is that also why they check your passport 20 times before you get on the plane? Pretty much. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Corporate greed. Corporate greed. That's it. And she also told me that before 9-11, it was actually way easier to like just wing it. You know, she like... She told me all these anecdotes about the amount of times that like passengers would insist and they would just like put them on being like whatever and they would still be let through. But like after 9-11, that's when the fees went way up. Wow. And so like the airlines no longer take that risk. You had a delightful airline employee, it sounds like. I did. I'm really, I'm really sad that we nicknamed her Man Hands. <laughs> because she had really, really huge hands for such a tiny woman. But she was, she... <laughs> I don't know, I guess airline employees take note. I understand that I was very upset, but there's something to say about just calmly explaining the logic behind it as opposed to being like, well, it doesn't show up on our system and mm -hmm. you're just going to have to accept that. People just want to know reasons. Right. That's all. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so anywho, travel with a passport. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot easier. Um, and with, with all your visas, yeah. But yes, that means that you do need a passport to go to Canada or to go to Mexico, to other places. But you do not need a passport to go to Puerto Rico because it's part of the United States. And this is something I always feel like I have to clarify to a lot of people. It doesn't feel like it. Yeah. But it is. Yeah. <laughs> now, passports. Passports, as you have noticed, are dependent on what nationality you are from. But the legal sense of nationality, not like my great-grandmother was from Ireland and therefore I'm Irish nationality. Which seems to only apply in Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> So I think it's important to let our listeners know what the difference is between being a citizen of a country, because that's where you're going to get your passport from, a resident of, of, of a place, because that's where you're going to get state IDs from, and then simply a tourist. All right. Legal definitions of that. <laughs> I'll take tourist. All right. For 500. Yes. <laughs> a tourist means that you're visiting a place, obviously, and I have seen tourist visas that are issued where you can stay, it depends on the country, between 30 days and 90 days. You have to leave <laughs> before those days are up. Exactly. And you're not supposed to work when you're a tourist. You're only supposed to be there for fun and travel and vacation time. 
Now, a resident is someone who lives in a country that is not theirs. And they have gone and they have gone through the process, let's say, through the through the different legal and state channels to be in that country. So for example, me, Inez Bellina, I am a resident of the United States. That means that I have gone through several visas, several green card applications, and I am legally allowed to stay here, work here, I pay taxes, the whole thing, but that does not mean I am American. If the US government decides I am sketchy as fuck, I can always get deported. Or if I do commit a crime, I can get deported. If I fail to pay taxes, I can get deported. There are a lot of things that can get me deported still. But for the most part, if I'm a law-abiding citizen, I'm still a resident and I can stay here. Now, what is a citizen? Kathy's looking at me like you say. <laughs> I'm like, you're doing such a good job. Um, a citizen is this is the place you were born or you were granted nationality. For example, if you if a person is born outside of the United States, but at least one of their correct me if I'm wrong, yeah, yeah. but at least one of their parents is American, they have American citizenship. You can become a naturalized citizen, which is a process that Inez knows more about than I do. Yes, because I'm now going through it. <laughs> now, um, a naturalized citizen basically means that, that you were not granted citizenship automatically at birth. So when it comes to my case, I came here first on a student visa, then I got married and that's how I got my green card. And I've and after marriage, if you get your green card through marriage, you can apply for citizenship three years after the fact, which is what I'm doing now. If you actually get your green card through other means, then you have to wait five years. So now, what does the citizenship process for the United States entail? I had to fill out a bunch of forms, basically showcasing Again, that I'm a law-abiding citizen, that I pay my taxes, all that kind of stuff, employment history, address history, things like that. I had to get my prints taken again and my picture taken. And in the me and right now, I'm basically waiting to get a notice for my citizenship exam. They're going to interview me to make sure, I don't know, to make sure I'm not sketchy. I'm guessing they're probably just going to go through my application and ask me a few things. And then I have to answer six out of ten questions correctly on American history, government, and culture. And some of them are weird, which <laughs> I know because I helped a Vietnamese couple train, like, study for their citizenship exam, and I had to explain things like, what is polygamy? Oh. <laughs> and why, and is it legal in the United States? Which... You know, where, where else are they going to learn about polygamy? This was before reality TV. Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Now you're wondering like, okay, this is fascinating, but what does it have to do with travel documents? Everything. Because, for example, I am a resident of the U.S., which means that I have a state ID from Illinois. When I fly within the U.S., that's what I use to board planes. But when I fly abroad, because I'm a citizen of Peru... I travel with a Peruvian passport. Kathy travels with an American passport. Because <laughs> I received my citizenship by being born here. Just that. Luck of the draw. That's Total. it. Total yeah. twist of fate. <laughs> Total twist of fate. 
Now, to make things more complicated, I was born in Switzerland, but I am not a citizen of Switzerland because wah, Switzerland... Wah. I know, because Switzerland sucks. No. <laughs> because Switzerland has different laws regarding who can or cannot be a citizen. So it's not that all, not all countries have this automatic citizenship at birth thing. Right. Most of the countries in the Americas do, though. It's usually the European and the Asian ones that are like really, really isolationist and xenophobic. Well, <laughs> that <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to link that back to where we are today in the United States, where we are becoming increasingly isolationist and xenophobic. Oh, yes, there is, there is quite a significant segment of the population here that believes that what Europe and Asia do is perfectly fine. So, we will get to that in a minute. Yes. But I just <laughs> wanted to backtrack to where you, Inez, mentioned you. Mm -hmm. Inez yes. <laughs> mentioned that when you travel domestically, you use your state ID. Mm -hmm. Well, friends, <laughs> back in 2005, the, the government, the U.S. government, passed the Federal Real ID Act. Oh, yes. Which beefs up security on how driver's licenses are issued and the features of the licenses themselves. This sounds like a great idea since, you know, every college kid has made a fake ID. <laughs> However, as in most cases, most well-intentioned things it, that the government happens to want to do, it was horribly <laughs> rolled out. Shocking. Yes. Back in 2016, Illinois announced that you would have to get a new driver's license to fly, and people freaked the F out. <laughs> like, people are like, well, I'm going on a trip next week. Will my driver's license be accepted and nobody had a good answer for them because it is the government i feel so much like ron swanson right now it's not I even know. funny <laughs> we are definitely channeling his attitude so uh the good people of illinois have have received a notice that they can it's it's been extended to 2020 basically then you will have to comply with the new driver's license requirements. Many states have already implemented this and don't have to worry, and most states are in the process. Like I said, probably necessary. Implementation? <laughs> Horrible. It's almost as if like they think they can just push things through without planning. <laughs> <laughs> so weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anywho... Most of you, I'm sure, when you're like daydreaming about travel, you're thinking of some far off place, some, some exotic wonderland, in which case you need a passport. And of course, the first step to reaching that exotic wonderland is getting your passport. So how do you get a passport in the United States, Kathy? Well, let me tell you. <laughs> Again, the government. Government. <laughs> government. <laughs> we just got on so many lists right now, like oh, government yeah. watch lists. I, I am not getting that citizenship, no. guys. <laughs> it was all me. Yeah. Um, all right. So step one is you complete the form, which can be found online. You can apply for your passport at a passport agency, which are usually located in major cities, or a passport acceptance facility, which sometimes is the post office, but not always every post office. Or by mail. Number two, collect your supporting documents, which would be your citizenship evidence, such as a birth certificate or an ID. Oh, again, this only applies to these lovely 50 United States, just as a reminder. Number three, take your pictures. You need one two-inch by two-inch color passport photo. 
You must be facing the camera. You must have a neutral expression. It must be in color. You cannot wear your glasses unless medically necessary, and then you need a note from your doctor. You cannot wear a hat. You, you cannot wear a head covering without a signed statement that that is indeed your religion that requires you to wear that head covering. And the same is for hats, too. Not religion, but um, if you're wearing a hat for a medical reason, okay, bring a note. I really want to know a medical reason that requires a hat. So if you know of one, please... Please send us an email. <laughs> that would be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Number four, calculate your fees. First-time adult passport, as of April 2017, cost $135. To renew your passport as an adult costs 110 And if you are a child under the age of 17, it will cost you $105. These fees have increased significantly over the last couple of years. In 2008, I believe, for some reason... I think the the passport fees went up oh. and so if you are renewing your passport in 2018 it is advisable to do it very early because everybody's passport is going to expire in 2018 oh not everybody but everyone who renewed in 2008 yeah so you used to be able to if you ran out of passport pages you used to be able to get extras uh, for free, and the government does not offer that service anymore. But when you apply, you can choose between a 28-page passport or a 58-page pas passport at the time of application for no additional charge. <laughs> and that is it. Like, hopefully they will mail it back to you. Typically, if you hold on to an old passport, if you have an old passport you're renewing and it has sentimental value, they typically will send that back to you with your new passport. And also, as I just recently learned, for example, my passport is expiring soon and I have a Brazilian visa, which we'll talk about later because they're a bitch to get. <laughs> and it is good for 10 years. And I wondered how it would transfer to my new passport. And the answer is you have to carry both passports until that Brazilian visa expires. Yeah. Do you keep your old passport? I mean, regardless of visas that may or may not expire. Oh yeah, I do. Yeah, I same do. Here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> like my favorite keep. It's like it's like a book of my life. But yeah. you have the cute baby passports. I do. So. I have cute ones where like things were still handwritten. Oh, I know. It's insane. It's insane. I only have one, and I look. It was um, when I studied abroad the first time I left the country, and I'm smiling, and I look terrified. <laughs> And I'm also wearing my favorite flannel shirt because that was the first time we dressed in the grunge style. Oh, yes. I guess it's come back now. Yeah. More anyway. or less. Yeah. Not the same. Same with crop tops. Yeah. Which I will not wear this time around. No. So you have your passport. You know where you want to go. And now the question is, do I need a visa to go somewhere? Different countries require visas from different citizens of different countries so what is the easiest way of finding out whether you need a visa or not well you go online and visit that country's consular page that's yes. the easiest way to do it as of now the u.s is very friendly with many countries and you will just be issued a visa on the spot mm -hmm. and it will be free however and there are a ton of countries where you can go without visas. It's right. why the American passport is considered powerful. And we'll talk about powerful passports versus the plebeian ones that I have. 
later. However, <laughs> our powerful pass, my powerful passport, and hopefully your soon-to-be powerful passport, may be diminishing in power. It's a crazy world we're living in. Thanks to our current administration, who has decided to impose stringent passport requirements on people who, who want to visit the U.S., and the people who want to visit the U.S. come from countries that are very generous when U.S. citizens want to visit them. So what would you do if somebody was like, hey, France, we're going to make it real hard for you to visit, visit the United States. Would you just sit there and be like, yeah, sure, that's cool, but keep on coming to Paris? No. Well, that's what Latin America does. I'm just going to put it out there because we need your money. Well... But, they, well, actually, let's back up. Okay. So you need a visa. Yes. You go to the consular page. Usually, what will they require of you? What is the easiest visa process you've seen versus, like, the most cumbersome? The two that I can think of at the top of my head who are the easiest, who have countries with the easiest visa process, Australia and um, Cambodia. Because, well, Canada, too, because you can just cruise into Canada as a U.S. citizen with your passport. Yeah, there's, like, several countries where you don't need an official visa. Right. Just your passport is the visa, basically. But, and Canada is one of them. But yeah. official, officially, I would say, like, Cambodia and Australia, because you can actually get your visas online in advance. The, and usually they're cheaper. I know in Cambodia it's a little more expensive to get your visa in person. And they only accept money in U.S. dollars, euro, and Thai baht, which, yeah. you know, if you're at the airport, just hope that you have that currency. And you, <laughs> you, one of those. And you can also pay with a credit card if you go online. The hardest ones for me were Brazil and Russia because they're very onerous. But the reason they're onerous is because the U.S. was onerous to them first. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so uh, when people complain like, oh, it's so hard to get a Brazilian visa, I'm like, you know what? I would have done the same thing. If someone comes at me, I'm going to come at them. Yes, they make you come in person to get your passport, um, to get your visa, and there's no guarantee that after you've traveled to this place to get your visa that you will be issued a visa. And India is terrible, too. At, um, it's so hard to get a visa to the U.S. from India. You need a letter of invitation, and and yeah. so many people want to come here that it's even if you have a specific business purpose, because my my business with Brazil and India, are it's both through work. So I just see people who are coming here for a specific purpose, and they often get denied visas for, like, no good reason. Yeah, so, I mean, my experience traveling around with my Peruvian passport. So when I had a diplomatic Peruvian passport, life was sweet because I was able to go, for example, to Europe without a visa, but not to Great Britain. Great oh. Britain still required that I jump through all the hoops that I'm about to tell you. But there were other countries that I was allowed to simply not go. Once I got my little plebeian Peruvian passport... Oh, wait, can I interrupt you? For oh, yes. So tell me, when did you have to give up your diplomatic passport? Oh, fuck. I, <laughs> this is going to be the, 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 the episode where I drop all the F-bombs. I had to give that up when I got married. And now I'm divorced, and it kind of sucks that I don't have it. Well, let me ask you another question. Yes. When did your brothers have to give up their diplomatic passports? This is interesting, too. My brothers actually had to give it up, I believe, when they were 26. So there was a really, like, sexist law. But the thing is, the law has changed, oh. like, throughout the years. So 
that I remember at some point my my sister had to give it up when she turned I can't remember if it's 24 no it's 24 my sister had to give it up when she turned 24 because at that point it applied to both to all genders as soon as you were 24 years old and this was only if you were studying um, you had to give up your Peruvian diplomatic passport if you were the child of a diplomat. If, for example, you turned 18 but weren't studying or in the army, you had to give it up as soon as you turned 18. I don't know why, for what reason, what sketchy dealing happened, but at some point they changed the law and they decided to make that division where, like, unmarried sons lost theirs, you know, at 24. But for some reason, unmarried daughters kept it until they were married. And I don't know if the law has changed again or not, because at this point, like, I think the only one who has a diplomatic passport is, is my brother. Huh. You know, like my, my, my youngest brother. Yeah, that, it's, it's, it's been a weird and wild ride. Yeah. But once I got my plebeian Peruvian regular passport, I had to request visas to go to uh, Europe. Well, I mean, if I had wanted to, and I will go into why I decided not to in a little bit, Definitely for uh, Australia and New Zealand. And unlike Kathy, who found it very easy, I actually had to go through the very burdensome task of getting an Australian and New Zealand uh, visa, in which case they required plane reservations, hotel reservations, bank statements, a letter of confirmation of employment, you know, in addition, oh, proof that I had health insurance. And I can't remember if there was anything else. But that's just like a ton of documents already. Once again, to pay. And you're not guaranteed, you know, a visa if you, or not, even if you show all those documents. And I had to send this like really thick file out to DC. I had to wait. I think it was like for six weeks or something to get a response. I don't remember what I had to pay. But, but that usual thing of like, Bank statements, health insurance, letter of employment, everything planned. Like all your hotel reservations had to be planned. Your tickets already had to be bought. That is usually what Peruvians had to go through to get a visa to the U.S., to get a visa to Canada, to get a visa to any country in Europe, including the U.K. Basically, we were only allowed uh, normal or like romantic travel, if you will, to Latin American Asian countries. This really pissed me off. And that is when I decided to say to give the middle finger to all these places because it was not reciprocal. Europeans can go into Peru without a care in the world. Same with Americans, same with Canadians, same with Australians and New Zealanders or Kiwis. And I'm just like, I'm gonna look at the list of places where I'm not required a visa. And it turns out that there's a ton of them. And I just started going to scary, in quotes, scary destinations, kind of as my own political protest. And the reason I bring this up is because there was a lot of hoopla about the U.S. maybe losing their visa waiver to Europe, which basically means that you guys would have to go through the same hoops that Peruvians had to go through in order to travel to Europe. And I know it's a pain in the butt, and I know it's annoying, but my advice was basically, well, then maybe just start exploring Latin American countries or Asian countries or African countries. Like, Europe needs to learn that they're not the biggest. They're not just like, there's other things to see. That's all. I'm kind of tired of, like, the Eurocentric patriarchal structures that are ruling the world right now, I think. So, anyway, Kathy, thoughts? Anyway. <laughs> hey, Kathy, can we talk about how amazing Ciderbox is? Ciderbox? What's Ciderbox? Oh, let me tell you. <laughs> 
Ciderbox is a subscription service that sends heritage American cider to your door. To your door? Yes, and you can choose either three bottles, six bottles, or a whole case. So what are some of the benefits of ordering Ciderbox? Ooh, well, there's the spiritual one because it's delicious and it will brighten your day. It's also gluten-free. So for all those people that preferred their things without gluten, it also helps the world. Ciderbox is proud to support the American Farmland Trust in their mission to save the land that sustains us by protecting farmland, promoting sound farming practices, and keeping farmers on the land. And a donation is made to the American Farmland Trust for every Ciderbox sold. Plus, you can get a discount when you use the promo code XXWillTravel. So make sure to check it out at ciderbox.com, C-I-D-R-B-O-X.com. So speaking of Europe and patriarchal structures, the toughest visa I ever got was to Russia. Which has issues. Which has issues. Oh, so many issues. Not excusing um, my U.S. cohorts (laughs) for their issues. So this is what happened. When I was visiting Russia, you have to apply for a visa. I believe it was about $200 at the time I applied. I had a friend living in Russia, and I went to visit, I was going to visit him. So the same thing where I had to buy my plane ticket first, and it probably takes about two months to process your visa with no guarantee that you'll get one. So it so happened <laughs> that the Russian consulate, the closest one to Chicago, is in Washington, D.C., and the Russian consulate was going through some changes. So I looked on their website. All my friends had advised me to go through a visa agency to get my Russian visa, and I didn't understand why, because as an American, it has always been incredibly easy for me to get a visa, and I am a huge do-it-yourselfer. So I said, no, 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 I'll I'll handle this. (laughs) Famous last words. There was an address on the Russian consulate website in Washington, D.C., and they made me send a cashier's check for $200, my passport, and my completed visa form. My completed visa form was rather strange because I was staying with a friend, and if I put his address on the form, he would have to go register me. He would have to go register me with the police because I was staying with him. He did not want to do that because that is a huge bureaucratic castle, so there are fake hotels set up and you oh put <laughs> you put their addresses in the as the place you're staying and it's fine or else a lot of people will make hotel reservations and once they get the visa they will cancel the hotel reservations so it's a lot of working the system so i mailed all my stuff to this address my passport $200 and my application form and i mailed it well in advance because they recommend um No more than 90 days, but no less than 30. I received a phone call from a man with a heavy Russian accent. So I picked up my phone. It was a DC number. And the first thing he says is, why you send me your passport? The thing I say is, hello? (laughs) And he responds again, why you send me your passport and your check? And I'm doing a very bad Russian accent (laughs) right now. Um... And I said, because your address is on the consulate of Russia's website. And this is, it said, that's where it said I was supposed to send it. I am not consulate of Russia. (laughs) And I was like, but you have my stuff. And he basically told me I had to send someone to pick it up. At this point, 
I am a little freaked out because some stranger has my passport and my money. And I call a visa agency in Washington, D.C. And the guy, like, you could tell it was kind of a younger dude who answered the phone. And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We know this guy. This happens all the time. I'll, <laughs> I'll send a messenger to go get your stuff. And I was like, what the F has been happening? Like, why don't they change their website? And he was just like, yeah, I don't know. And so I never got the real story about why we were all sending our stuff to this random Russian dude in Washington, D.C. Needless to say, they sent a messenger to get all my stuff. They processed my visa. It was very, it was painless. I think I paid them $100. The agency? Yeah. Okay. Because because what choice do I have? No, but like tip is just like go to the agency next time. Go yeah. well. I think it's even cheaper than that. But they had to expedite all my stuff because the guy also didn't call me for like a good two weeks. Oh my god. Yeah. So my tip is if you're doing a Russian visa, leave it to the experts. Give yourself plenty of time and uh, yeah, explore your options. I like yeah. that. Explore your options. Maybe in South America. If you're into <laughs> communism, there are former communist states everywhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Come on, dudes. Um, but I will say it was worth the trip. I'm glad I went to Russia now. Then, I mean, before, then now. And I mean, despite all my, how annoying it was to get my Australian and New Zealand visa, I mean, the trip was amazing, but I would not have done it if it had not been my honeymoon because I was very adamant about no longer wanting to deal with visas. Now, this is how weird the world is. Right now, the United States might be losing the privilege to um, go to Europe without one, but Peru has actually gained it in the past two years. So now I can somewhat freely travel to Europe. They still put a couple of requirements. I don't have to apply for a visa but I have to show that I have either a letter of invitation or hotel reservations there. And they might ask for supporting documents at the counter or like at the, at the gate when I land in Spain or on Spain or anywhere in Europe. But for the most part, at least a hassle of having to go through the consulate and waiting for them to accept it and the interview and all that has gone down. So maybe one day you guys will envy my Peruvian passport. Probably not, but... <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? The world is crazy. (laughs) Crazy right now. So sometimes when you travel to countries, you not only need a visa, but you might need vaccine requirements. Kathy, what is up with vaccines? Well, sometimes there are diseases in other parts of the world that may not be endemic from where you come from. For example, yellow fever is a common vaccine that you will have to get to travel to other places like I had to get a yellow fever vaccine to travel to Peru and I think hep A and hep hepatitis A and hepatitis B but guess what they were covered under the Affordable Care Act Ooh, well I have two questions actually yes before we get to Obamacare (laughs) were you was it optional or were you definitely had to have proof in order to get to those places? It was not optional. It was required. However, I've been to Africa. I've been to many places in South America and Asia. No one has ever checked. Yeah, I'm actually surprised that it was required. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I've never heard of anyone checking for that. Me neither. Yeah. But I At guess least in Peru. In, I mean. in the case of yellow fever, I guess better safe than sorry. Obamacare covered it. It did. And Obamacare is still here to stay for a while, folks. So get your vaccinations and your IUDs. 
Do you have any vaccine horror stories? I don't. I just, I get them, and then I feel really gross and crabby for a couple of days, and someone also has to remind me, always has to remind me, like, oh, well, there's yellow fever in your body right now, and I'm like, oh. Yeah. Well, mine isn't so much a horror story. It was, it's more of an anecdote, but sometimes when you're from Peru, traveling to other countries, you're required to get vaccines. (laughs) Oh. Uh, (laughs) And, and mostly it's yellow fever. I have no idea how yellow fever is spread. I was under the impression it was mosquitoes, so I don't know why, you know, like why me having immunity would change anything. But for whatever reason, Peruvians are sometimes required to get the vaccine before they leave, before they enter another country. I did not know this when I was traveling to Brazil back when I was 19, when I was traveling via bus. So when we crossed the border, from Uruguay into Brazil, and the border agents were checking our passports. I was the only one that was a Peruvian citizen there, and they asked me where my proof of yellow vaccine um, was. Whoa. In, in which case, I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Now, I don't know if this was before 9-11 factor, if it was like we were all 19 and a group of like really cute girls all of a sudden land in this like middle of nowhere border, you know, border patrol, <laughs> like stop or if it was Brazil, but at first they weren't gonna let me in and they were just like, please. And then they were like, okay, we'll let you in, but you have to promise me that you will get a yellow fever vaccine once you're in Brazil. Oh. So I said, okay. And me being the rule follower that I was and paranoid as always, I did. So with a friend, like the first couple of days we were there, I traveled to one of Brazil's free clinics because it turns out they have uh, pretty good health care over there <laughs> in some cases. You um, mean health care for everyone? I don't know if it's completely universal, but it seems like there were a lot of free clinics where I could get a lot of shit done, <laughs> including getting a yellow fever vaccine. <laughs> I thought you were going to be like, like butt implants. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I should have asked. Um, and yeah, and the, the doctor just gave me one. She gave me a certificate, and they never asked for it when I left the country. But I had it just in case. Oh, yeah. Good. So thank you. Thank you, random Brazilian border agent. It's almost as if he used common sense and it worked out for everyone. (laughs) So yes, check what vaccine requirements you might have. But that's pretty much it in terms of passports and documents. I have. Oh, oh, no. Go ahead. Oh, I have one more thing. I thought of another kind of visa. Ooh. The working holiday visa. Oh, I, I, yeah, in Peru, we don't have those privileges. So, sometimes, <laughs> I think there's some from the U.S. It's mostly, to me, seems like a Commonwealth thing or yeah. a European thing. Like Canada, Australia, and Europe are in cahoots. Right? <laughs> yeah. So it's usually, a working holiday visa is usually issued to you when you're between 18 and 30 years old. I know New Zealand is a little older. I think New Zealand might be 35. Um, especially if you have a skill, a marketable skill. They're easier to get if you're younger, like if you've just graduated college. Some require evidence of health insurance. Very common, as Inez said, in Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. And some require evidence of sufficient funds for a period of time, like your first three months. And depending on the country, you can stay there and you can work for various lengths of time. Um, I know we used to have, I remember when I graduated from college, it was available to Ireland. Oh, interesting. Yeah, but I don't know if that program is still, yeah. is still intact, but it's, 
Yeah, something I really wish I had done when I was between the ages of 18 and 30. Yeah. I mean, I never looked up, but let's face it, there's no way any of these countries give holiday working visas to Peruvians. Right. <laughs> like, it's just one of those things you know when you grow up. Unless somebody starts <laughs> a theme park like Peru Land. Yeah. <laughs> Well, but this might be a nice little segue into one of my pet peeves, Kathy. What is that, Inez? The idea that some people from, uh, let's say, the wealthier countries, mm-hmm. most notably the U.S., that they can simply move to another country if they don't like the president that's just been elected. Huh, who would want to do that? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I understand the desire, but the idea that you can suddenly just go up and move to Canada... I'm here to dispel that myth. Oh, dispel away. Okay, usually when you want to live somewhere else for a period of time and work there, I mean, there are options like a holiday working visa, but that doesn't tend to be for more than like six months or a year, I believe. I agree, yeah. It's definitely meant to be, you know, for something when you're young, to gain experience, to travel, but it's in no way meant to be like, oh, a lifestyle change. Right, It's supposed yeah. to. it's supposed to allow you to work enough to fund your travels. Yes. But let's say you are just like, whatever, a 34-year-old who's like, man, Trump, I want to move to Canada. Guess what? All countries have some sort of immigration process. It's what? not just the United States. <laughs> yeah, it's not open borders around the world, people. <laughs> so if you actually want to move up into Canada, you actually have to go through a lot of hoops. You can apply for residency or for, yeah, for a resident visa usually through their website, in which case they will be looking for marketable skills, employment history, languages you know, financial documents, etc. The whole hurrah, and it takes a long time, and more than likely, you might not get it. Getting a visa to work in a Canadian company can be really tough as well, because as part of their laws, they actually have to make sure that no Canadian wants that job, and it's only then that they can offer employment to um, a citizen from another country. I don't think that they will grant you refugee status just because you don't like Trump. I guess what a lot of people are assuming is that they can just go up there with their own funds and work under the table, which is actually what the undocumented immigrants in the States do. (laughs) So you would be an undocumented immigrant, which I have no political problems with. But let's face it, the fact that you feel you are safe to do that says volumes about your privilege because you're clearly not afraid of uh, getting kicked out of not being able to access certain services, of um, you'll think you'll be accepted and welcomed. And I'm guessing that most people who have this idea tend to be like upper middle class white people. I'm very sorry, but I have yet to hear of any, or I have heard very, very few POC people actually wax poetic about just going up and moving to Canada because we know exactly who people search for when they're talking about illegals, as they like to so... And nicely say. And it also <laughs> tends to be people with enough money that they can just pick up and transport their lifestyle to another country. Agreed. It's definitely like, yes, beyond the whole racial privilege, it's also just like speak so much like economic privilege to think that you can just do that, <laughs> that it, um, it is one of my pet peeves. Even Peru has an immigration policy, although it's super, super lax. So yeah, so that's it. Not even your Americanness will allow you to just go up and move to another country. And the thing is that people who do that, like I've heard of people saying like, oh, I was like living in Italy for two years after college. And I'm like, oh, well, you know, I was working under the table. Like they have to do things like leave the country every couple of months to get back in in a tourist visa. And by the way, these are all illegal things. Right. I mean, illegal in the sense of like 
You guys are basically doing the same thing as undocumented immigrants, but not getting shit on for it. Right. And And that is where my anger lies. And if you overstay (laughs) that visa, you might be banned from your beloved Italy. Exactly. Although I have also heard that this is where privilege comes into play a lot. And sometimes officials are like, oh, look, you're like a cute person from California. It's like, don't do that again. I don't think I can get away with that. As a Peruvian, I for sure cannot get away with that. I will Peruvian, be banned. As as people of as African people could never yeah. get away with that. Mm-mm. Yes. Eastern European people. I'm just thinking of Italy right now. I know, <laughs> I know. And to be very clear, I actually am very pro undocumented immigration in the sense that I think they come to the US and do all the work that people don't want to do. They provide so much both economic benefits, social benefits, cultural benefits. But they're also doing it out of despair and because they really need it. I have a problem when you're just like an entitled college student who is getting away with it because of privilege and you don't recognize that. Right. That is where my rant comes from. Rant over. Sorry. Check yourself. Check. Yes. Check your privilege, people. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm sure you lovely audience members have never had those thoughts. Never. Never. You're my friends. (laughs) So I just have one more thing. Yes. What happens... When you lose your passport. First you cry. <laughs> First you cry. First you dust yourself up off the ground. Because I, I don't know. For some reason, I just assume it's an assault. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. I this w- got like so dark so quick. I went there. Yeah. Um, and then you cry. And then you take the following steps to retrieve your passport. That's how you can stay in a place. Right. <laughs> lose your passport. And That's true. <laughs> not not be able to go back to your home country. So, here's a note before you go. Send a color copy of your passport ID page, the page with your picture, to someone you trust who will keep track of it. And I say that because my mom has mine. And God bless her, I love my mother. But if I called her from Uzbekistan and was like, hey, I really need that copy of the passport photo I gave, or uh, my passport page I gave you, she probably couldn't find it. So <laughs> so that would help me in no manner whatsoever. Right. <laughs> um, I also keep a copy in my home where someone with my keys could come and get it if necessary. Some people email a copy of that page to themselves and keep it in their email, so you just need a web connection to, to get a copy. Yeah. I'm becoming very... I'm becoming an internet curmudgeon where I fear that someone could hack into my email and would have access to this very sensitive information. So it is up to you. Yeah. I you... keep it in my Dropbox, which, I mean, has the same issues as email, but maybe it's a little safer. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> it's, it's up to you. So if you lose your passport and you're in the United States, you just basically have to apply for a new one. Um, but if you are abroad, you visit your consulate or your embassy and if it was a crime, you have to let them know because that they will handle the case much differently than if you just lost it. You tell them the date you're departing the country where you are. They can tell you where to go get a passport photo, so get one of those. The consulate can issue a replacement passport. You have to complete the application, the same one you completed to get your initial passport, and the fee still applies. Unless you are a victim of a crime or a disaster, in which case they will waive the fee. So if it happens on a weekend or a holiday when the consulate is closed, you're kind of out of luck because they cannot help you unless it is literally a matter of life 
and death. <laughs> they will not give up their weekends for you unless no. <laughs> it's a matter of life, like serious life and death. Not, I'm not using a, what do you call it, hyperbole here. Yeah. I mean, I think most consulate and embassies have an emergency line, but that emergency line is meant for, for like situations where hey, I was just locked up and I'm being tortured by a foreign government, you know? And, and even the, then, they'll probably be like, on Monday, we will get back to you. Right, or if you yeah. if you get arrested, yeah. then maybe they'll send someone out. Right. <laughs> and I lost my passport, too. Yeah. Um, on a, a special note is some travel insurances will cover passport replacement costs, so check your policy. If you are in a country that does not have an embassy or a consulate from your nation here's some stuff you can do if you're an eu citizen visit another eu country's embassy and they can help you typically for some reason australia and canada have a kind of unspoken reciprocity i saw this on some some travel sites where if you are an australian and there's no embassy you can visit the canadian embassy and they will help you the same goes for british commonwealth countries they generally look out for each other if you don't have a consulate or an embassy representing you, your country may be represented by a quote-unquote mission, which is an unofficial embassy, like if diplomatic relations are suspended between your home country and the country where you are currently. Your country might be repped by another country. Switzerland does this a lot. If there's no embassy representing you, try the Swiss embassy. Your country may have a designated honorary consul which sounds kind of weird like from what i can understand they're not paid no it's a by the voluntary position and it's usually just people who are like really enthusiastic about being from their country and want to help other people from their country out it's it's a little strange yeah yeah yeah. it's just like (laughs) look for the american cheerleader i mean (laughs) yes that's totally who it is (laughs) so um seek out that person and your country's embassy might also be in a neighboring country so i don't know how you would get there without a passport but that was also suggested important note if Non-citizens of the country where you lost your passport are being evacuated. Go anywhere. (laughs) Go to any embassy. The the information I was reading specifically said Western embassies. Like, I'm American, so I would go to France or England or whatever. Pick a powerhouse if you need to get out of the country. Yeah. Well, I'm guessing in that case, it's because there's been a total breakdown of society and embassies are technically territories of their own country as opposed to that of of, of the country they're in. Yeah. So so you're considered safe there. It's why it's why a uh, resident like douchebag Julian Assange has been living in the Ecuadorian embassy forever. He's technically in Ecuadorian territory. They can't go in and catch him unless Ecuador says so. And Ecuador is just not giving him up. Ecuador's chilling. Yeah. <laughs> with a villain. Chilling with a villain. <laughs> Anyways, this is definitely the episode that uh, Homeland Security will use to deny my citizenship. So I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> Thank you for your sacrifice. I hope you learned something. <laughs> and before we go, we have a podcast shout out to Larissa Barboza Gobetz. I Yay. hope I'm saying that right. You know, Inez and I are human. <laughs> we... <laughs> We're not robots just speaking at you. No, no, we're human. We stalk Facebook groups of various interests, which include like travel and podcasting. And every once in a while, well, this was the first time I saw 
I saw our new best friend Larissa say something really nice about XX Will Travel, and I was sort of like, hey! (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. So we appreciate you listening. Yes, yes, yes. And... Are you a fan and you want to show us our support, your support? Because we have a ton of options now. What are our options, Inez? Well, first of all, you can subscribe on iTunes. But if you're already doing that, the best thing you can do is leave us a review. It helps other people find us. And you don't even have to write a long paragraph. You can literally write two words. And if you don't even want to write at all, you can simply just read us with the stars. And that will count. Five of them. Yes. Now, if you're like, boo, iTunes, you can also follow us on Podbean, Stitcher, and Google Play, I believe. Yes. Mm -hmm. And if you want to keep giving us more love, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, and we're on Instagram. We also have a monthly newsletter, which is super fun to write and to read. Every time I read, Inez is in charge of the newsletter. And every time I read it, I'm like, we're so cool. Oh, (laughs) thank you. It's honestly one of the most fun things I do with XX Will Travel, so please... So please do that. And we have also set up a digital tip jar if you are the type of person who likes to show their love via material support, which we welcome, however small or however big, because it takes a lot of effort to do this. And it takes also things like fancy, fancy microphones and things like that that might cost money. So this helps us a lot. (laughs) Yes, for sure. Yes. But other than that, I think I think any more thoughts on visas, travel documents or passports oh they're pain they are they're pain and the took us yeah yeah honestly i'm like kind of tired of having to deal with all of it because i have dealt with it my whole life i've i've i was talking about this with a friend for most of my adult life i've lived in a country that is not my own which means that i've always had my hands tied with regards to what i can do where i can work how much i can stay there what responsibilities I have, what rights I do have, and I just want that to be over with. And hopefully it will be soon. Yes, if I get my citizenship after this podcast, (laughs) you'll hear all about it, people. But until then, go forth and travel. Join Girl Squad Tours in July for Retreat Yourself weekend in Hot Springs, North Carolina. This all-inclusive weekend getaway includes yoga, guided meditation, nature hikes, soaking in hot springs, campfires, incredible food and wine, and good old-fashioned girls' nights. Visit girlsquadtours.com to sign up today. Enter code GSTWILLTRAVEL to receive 10% off the pay-in-full options.